Welcome back to Recoil Live's Recoil Podcast. I am here today with Omar Fernandez, and we're going to talk a little bit about guns and cigars, two of everybody's favorite topics. So, Omar, why don't we start with uh, having you tell us a little bit about yourself and what your background is in the cigar industry? Absolutely, Tom. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, you know, I got into the cigar industry in 1997 uh, with my own uh, brand and a factory down here in Miami, Florida. Uh, I was very young at that time. I was passionate about cigars, uh, really enjoyed them, really liked them, and uh, met somebody and put put a factory together. And uh, from there, it's transitioned to um, distribution, uh, distribute, uh, distributed some brands. And now, in uh, this time in my career, I'm working for a company that uh, produces two-way humidity products. It's called Integra Boost. And we make uh, two-way humidity for your cigars, for any any plant uh, items and whatnot. And it's just little little boost pack that that um, that have the uh, your proper uh, humidity in there, so that you can protect and preserve your cigars. And it's very important, especially for those of us that like to enjoy our cigars in pristine condition. Especially relevant for uh, those of us like myself living in the uh, southwest regions, where right now we actually have negative humidity. Uh, so <laughs> I, I need every drop of our dew point, I think right now is like negative 25, where wow. I'm at, which I didn't, I didn't even think it was possible to have a, a negative yeah, dew point. But yeah, that's what they said on the news was a negative 25. So I say that to say that your, your product's really relevant for those of us out here, because uh, we need all the humidity we can get so are they are they like single serve packs yeah so they they come anywhere from from really really small that could handle just one cigar and we make even bigger ones like uh 420 gram that'll fit in your your big uh you know that whatever big humidor you have big desktop 100 count plus wine adores yeah if you have uh, like a big chest style yeah, humidor yeah, yeah yeah and you just drop it in there and it's self-regulated that way, especially in your area, in my area, not so much. Listen, the humidity in my house is 50 to 55% year round indoors, you know, outdoors, it's more. So down in the South and, and especially in Florida, we don't, we don't worry too much about it. Um, but you want to get it perfect. You, you want to get as close to perfect because the amount of time that the manufacturers spend on, on making this and the years that it takes to produce a cigar, uh, it's worth taking care of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know there are a few things more frustrating for me when I light one up for a podcast or a conference call and I'm 10 minutes in, the wrapper starts to unwind and, it, and it's just a nightmare trying to hold it together for the rest of the call. That's happened to me in, uh, in Vegas where the cigar looks like it wants to just explode. Yep. It's unbelievable. I, I thought it was something wrong with the cigars the first time that happened. And people were telling me, no, no, it's just the humidity change and you're taking it out of a portable humidor that's 70% humidity in there and you go to 10, uh, weird things happen. Yep. Yeah. Vegas is another one of those places, just super, super dry, pretty windy most of the year on and off. And uh, yeah, just, man, it'll just suck the moisture out of anything. So, uh, so, so why don't you tell me a little bit of what you do uh, on the firearm side? Cause I know recently we've been talking and, and you made a transition there as well. Yeah, so um, about uh, 15, 20 years ago, I uh, met a good friend of mine named Felix, who was uh, an FFL here in Florida out of Bradenton. And um, 
and we really hit it off. He's uh, he's in you know Title II and a lot of machine guns and a lot of manufacturing that he does, a lot of custom builds. And over the years, um, I've just fallen more and more in love with with what he does and and sourcing uh, different firearms, especially stuff that that are harder to find, stuff that's not common in in the machine gun world. Um, recently, you know. I mean, the prices are through the roof. Um, he sent me some pictures of some MP5s that he's picked up recently. Um, they're all 50 grand plus. Um, and uh, geez, I can remember, you know, when there was 10 grand, yep. you know, and I thought that was all the money in the world. I'm like, well, that, it can't possibly go up much more than that, you know? Entry level was, uh, you know, an Uzi for three grand, four grand. Uh -huh. Those days were over. Are you finding that there are, people or maybe more people that are getting into uh machine guns as, as an investment you know maybe even equally as much if not more than just because they want to shoot machine guns well you know it's i i i think that's definitely the case but also there's a lot of people moving out of uh from up north coming down to florida and are getting here and saying oh we can own machine guns here we can own silencers and all this other stuff uh what do you got you know and they you know, they, if they have the means to purchase it, they're buying this stuff and they're shooting it. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going out there and they're enjoying them. Hopefully they're getting some good training. Uh, but at the end of the day, a lot of people just want to pull that trigger one time and do it legally and yeah. have fun, you know? Yeah, full auto uh, is, it's it's always a giggle. It's a giggle moment your first time out the gate with it, for sure. Yeah, so I used to go out with, with Felix. Uh, we'd rent a private range and set up cars and Tannerite and do all these shoots. And, um, you know, and we, we kinda, we, we've always liked kind of the same type of handguns and, and rifles and machine guns and whatnot. So it's, it's really cool to find somebody that's in the business that's your friend that likes the same thing you do and, and is, still gets giddy, you know, years into He's had everything, you know. So what I've always done for him is um, I've, I've been a member of most forums online, uh, good and bad for years. And a lot of times people put stuff in there. Hey, I'm looking to sell this or that or the other. Um, and, you know, I remember years ago, geez, it's got to be over 10 years ago. He said, man, I, I haven't owned a Glock 18 yet. See if you can find a Glock 18. Okay. Well, I found a matching pair sequential serial number that he bought. I think they were Glock 18 seats factory and nothing more fun to shoot than that thing. Um, it's funny because he also does some competition shooting IDPA and whatnot, and he'll go and take his Glock 18 to shoot. And uh, it, it's interesting because sometimes, you know, it's two shots on one target and it might be three or four because it's just so fast. You know? Yeah, those things are quick. And like you said, sometimes um, you press that trigger and no matter how much time you have behind it, uh, sometimes what you get is what you get. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. it's two shots and sometimes it's a couple of shots. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you made a point before about about MP5s. Is there. From what you guys are doing, are you seeing anything on the machine gun side that. Are you seeing particular makes and models that are becoming more sought after or maybe that have dried up and are just no longer available that you used to maybe be able to get 10 years ago? 
I think there was a more, a bigger variety of M16s out there. Uh, you'd find the Colt 614. Um, but when somebody has a brand new in the box, unfired M16A1, it, it, it brings all the money in the world. And if it's uh -huh. an A2, forget about it, you know? But then there is, there are a lot of people that are looking, they don't want that museum quality piece. They want something because they're gonna shoot it. So they want a shooter. They don't care if the finish is not perfect. It doesn't matter. They're going to go out there and enjoy it and let the value be what the value is if they ever decide to sell it. I think most people decide, you know, don't think about buying a machine gun when they're going to sell it, if there's going to be money in it or not. They just want to enjoy it. They just, and they just want to, they just want to have a machine gun. That's it. That's yeah. it. And then yeah. usually after they've owned it and they're thinking of maybe trading it in for something else, getting, uh, maybe going to belt fed, you know, and spend even more money. Then That's what they, I was going to ask. Are you, are you, that's going to be my next question. Are you seeing a lot of, of people moving towards the belt fed stuff at this point? Yeah. It's just really hard to find. Yeah. It's, it's big money. It's real big money. I love Felix has a couple PKMs, uh, oh. 7.62, but 54R that uh -huh. is just unreal. And, um, you know, by the time I get up there to go shoot with him, the belts have already been made. He's been in there cranking the machine and making the belts and whatnot. And um, I just get to go and enjoy it, you know, and <laughs> just shoot up cars and, and um, you know, they buy a junk car, put it on the range, tear it yep. up and then haul it away again. You know, it's, uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, the PKs are, they're surprisingly lightweight for what they are. I think yeah. that throws a lot of people on most of my experience on all my experience with PKs is from working in Afghanistan in a previous lifetime, but yeah, they're, they're lighter. They're, they're a lot lighter than you would think they are for what they can do. Cause that seven sixty by 54 uh, can really get out there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It is really, really fun. It's, I, I, it's, it's one of my favorite uh, to shoot out there for sure. Yeah, I could, I could see that. So mm -hmm. Then, so let's take a step back from that a little bit. Uh, what what got you into uh, shooting and and into collecting in the first place? And then how'd you, you know, everybody starts somewhere and then, you know, branches into machine guns. So, you know, what got you into firearms in the first place? And then how'd you make that jump from quote unquote, regular firearms into, you know, into full auto stuff? It, um, for me, growing up, uh, especially in a city, a big city like Miami, uh, my parents weren't really into firearms. Nobody in my family was really into firearms. I knew my dad had a firearm. Uh, I wasn't supposed to know that he had one, but I knew where it was at all times and, and whatnot. I grew up with, you know, shooting BB guns like most of us. And um, as I got older, got into high school, found out that I could buy a long gun at 18. And uh, remember going to a sports authority and buying a Ruger 1022 stainless um, with some ammo and, went across the street to a range and had my first experience. And that was, that was it. I mean, I shortly after bought a mini 14 stainless ranch rifle at sports authority of all places. Um, and, and the love affair grew from there. Unfortunately, when I turned 21, uh, the original assault weapons ban, uh, 94, I think it was, mm -hmm. uh, came out. So got my first handgun. It was a Glock 17. And it came with 10 round magazines. And I knew we could buy high capacity magazines, what I would consider a standard capacity magazine. 
I went to a gun show and I paid $125 for a Glock 17 17 round mag. Brutal. So that was the carry magazine. And I remember taking a course um, on my first, uh, you know, handgun ones, basic two day course. And everyone's got 10 rounders and our instructor, um, what, you know, had high cap mags and he worked for the government and he's just doing mag changes on concrete, dropping the mags. And we're looking like, that's a very expensive magazine Mm -hmm. that you're just dropping on there. You know, nobody wanted to drop their high caps. Nobody wanted to use their high caps, you know? So that was, that's how I got into it. And, um, you know, just met, met some really good people and, um, would, would purchase things that I liked, things that I thought were cool, things that I, you know, and then from there just transitioned into uh, concentrating more on, on things that were practical. I think we, you know, all of us have firearms that are not really practical. You know, if you knew you were going to go in a gunfight, that's not what you're picking, you know? Yep. Um, and, and those have a special place. But I started getting into things that you could fight with and defend yourself with. And, you know, God forbid we ever had that we don't ever have to do it here in in the U.S. But, you know, things the way they are and, uh, you know, having a family and protecting your home, you want to be proficient with with something and that you're going to trust your life to, you know. So that's how I kind of went transitioning. And then a couple of friends like, hey, I bought a suppressor. And I'm like, really, you can buy a suppressor? And you know, all right, let's go down that rabbit hole. And next thing you know, I've got a firearm trust and, you know, collecting stamps, you know? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, man tax stamps are, are like potato chips. I don't know anybody who had one and then said they were good. Nobody. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a real thing. I went from, for years and years, I didn't have any, you know, I didn't have any stamp stuff at all. And I, I went from zero to five or six in an embarrassingly short amount of time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's just, it, once you get bit by that bug, you know, so I, I personally have not crossed into, into full auto. I got most of my machine gun time courtesy of uncle Sam. So that, that has held me over for a while, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah man, with, especially with the E form system. Um, and now that they're, now that there's E form fours available, I'm already yeah. hearing they're down to like 90 days ish you know, for factory cans. So yeah, you see that in uh, some of the social media groups that, that people post in their times, they're ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I've had anything uh, under nine months, you know? Yeah. That's been the average for me for, for suppressors has been nine months. Uh, but like I said, I hear that that's, that's going down drastically. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah. So like you said, you know, early on, you talked about, uh, you know, like you said, wanting to focus on practical stuff uh that's obviously you're talking about the advent of, of the clinton ban so that's there's been some time elapsed uh so where would you say you're at now what are your what are your interests in terms of of, of collecting and shooting now at this point are you are you all in on the machine gun thing or you know do you do you brand collect is there a certain genre you like well for me um it would happen years ago it, it started with the ar um going after every trying to get every top brand out there whoever said you got to have this you got to have that and spending a lot of money on some of these high-end top shelf ar-15s 
taken them out and they just wouldn't run right, have all different types of issues. And I won't mention any brands, but um, it seemed like it happened with all of them. And, um, but I noticed it would never happen with the AKs that I had. And I didn't have anything special at that time. So I started going down the path of the AK-47 and the L variants and uh, fell in love with the uh, Polytex. Um, then uh, heard about a fella named uh, Jim Fuller. Um, and uh, that was it. That was it. Um, I would find guys that would wait for Jim to make a rifle and waited a year maybe. And then by the time they got it, they, they were on to something else. And I bought my first couple that way. Um, and then just started hearing about stuff that Jim was doing and I would order it. And so I've got quite a few uh, Jim Fuller builds uh, from Rifle Dynamics at that time. Now he's ventured off closer to you now, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, he's in Arizona now. Uh, Fuller, Fuller Phoenix, is, is, uh, that's the new brand. And yeah. uh, I know that there. I've had the chance to talk to him uh, over the last couple times over the last couple months, and I, I know they've got some good stuff coming. But uh, yeah, he's always had that reputation on the premium AK side, just a, a, a master craftsman. Yeah, yeah. You know, at, at that time, if you you know years back, you would pick up a an arsenal, let's say, which was a good uh, factory gun. You spent about a thousand dollars, but you send it over to Jim and wait a few months and spend another eight nine hundred on it. And it was another beast. Yep. And it runs like a top. Yeah, those poly, you're talking about Polytech. Those Polytech side folders are, man, they're hard to find now. They're real hard to find. Yeah, and the underfolder and the double underfolder with the spike bayonet in the front, uh -huh. those are impossible. I mean, they bring all the money in the world now. Yeah. Uh, but I would, I would go and train with those rifles um, because I wanted to have... I wanted you. I, I feel that you should train the way with what you use, with what you have available, what you're going to have available, and um, and be as proficient as possible with that. Yeah, you know, so that's, that was my thing. Absolutely. So uh, we we shot the breeze on on guns a fair amount at this point. Let's uh, let's talk about cigars a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I originally I was gonna I was gonna ask you a question about. There being whether you thought there was an overlap between gun culture and cigar culture, I, I kind of feel like maybe that's that's a silly thing to ask. I, I don't think there's any question that there is overlap, but I think the more interesting question is why uh, you're in a better position than I am, having worked in in both industries as a as an industry professional, having had an inside look at both. Uh, you know, what's your take on that? I you know I, I know a lot of gun guys that are cigar guys and most of my range sessions with you know whether i go take a class or whether it's guys i'm shooting with locally uh you know a lot of times it's all right let's we're gonna we gotta block out the whole day we're gonna go shoot in the morning we're gonna have a cigar in the afternoon yeah uh you know what i don't know man what's your take on that phenomenon it's weird it's um it's almost like usually when you meet somebody in the gun world it's not the first thing that comes out but all of a sudden, you know, if I go down to the range uh, down south or something and, and um, I'll bring some cigars and then when we're done or getting later in the day, whatever, I might break out a cigar and all of a sudden everybody is breaking out a cigar. And it's almost like it's, it's a point of relaxation. It brings people together. Um, 
And it's amazing how so many uh, people in the gun community also uh, partake of this wonderful pastime as well. Um, and then when you can do them both together, it's even better. We've got a we've got a range session on Thursday of uh, next week, um, and everybody will be smoking cigars. Everybody. Uh, we did that uh, a couple months ago. It was great. And um, and then you even go to a go to a, a cigar lounge. I I went to a lounge here locally one time, and I was talking to the owner, and he's I don't know how we got into the conversation. He said, "Listen, there's 12 people in here, and I guarantee you, 10 are carrying." And we did a poll and sure enough, there were only two people that didn't have a concealed weapon, you know, and everyone's just relaxing and doing their own thing at a cigar lounge, you know, so there is definitely a lot of uh, crossover there. Um, don't know what, what it is, but let's keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, I, I would, I would report that I've probably had similar experiences at most of the lounges I've been to here. Yeah. Um, and, and typically, you know, half, if not more of the guys, if they're not actively carrying, they're at least, you know, they're at least gun guys. I try to make a habit of dropping spare issues of recoil and, and off-grid and concealment at all the, uh, all the lounges I frequent. And yeah. normally if I drop a couple issues and then go back the next week, they're gone, yeah. uh, which is a good problem to have. So I keep bringing them around. People just keep snatching them up. Uh, and so there is, there's, there's definitely an overlap and, um, you know, I get, I think sometimes I get sucked into conversations at lounges when I, when I don't tend to, because the, you know, the, the couple that I go to frequently, most of the guys there know, you know, what my background is and what I do. And so, if, you know, if somebody comes in and they want to start talking guns and then it's, oh, well, let's ask Tom. Ah, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, here, here we go. And then, then I'm there two hours later than I meant to be, but that's okay. Like you said, it's, it's a, it's a shared interest thing. And um, I didn't realize how prolific it was uh, until I started trying to pay attention to it a little more. And, you know, there's always this stereotype of guys smoking cigars on the golf course. Yeah. You know, I think that's a kind of, yeah. that's an iconic image. Nobody bats an eye when they see dudes, you know, swinging a golf club, like with a Churchill, uh, you know, in one side of their mouth kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's, I, I would argue it's probably just as common uh on on the firearm side which like i said I, I hadn't thought about originally and then started paying attention to it and, and realized it was you know it was a big thing i have a theory about cigar smoking and, and i think you and i talked about this previously that um it's what i call an enriching hobby yeah so don't get me wrong there are plenty of times where i want to sit down and have a cigar and i only want to worry about smoking a cigar it's all i want to do yeah. Uh, like you said, it is it is a point of relaxation. That's a that's a really good way to talk about it. But I I call it an enriching hobby because whatever your other interests are, uh, there's a pretty good chance that you can also enjoy your cigars while doing that other thing. Right. And you mentioned grilling. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good one. I think that's a really good one. Uh, you know, golfing, shooting, yeah. um, you know, especially if you, if you, if guys who are into smoking, uh, like, like barbecue type smoking, man, you throw yeah. a brisket in, that's like six, eight hours, you know, you got time, you, you got, got time. You might as well light one up. Cause it's going to be a while. That mm -hmm. is true. It's, it's interesting because, you know, I, like I tell you that relaxation that I I'm with you on that too. 
Sometimes I just want to sit down and don't bother me. Just let me just sit here. You're clearing your mind. You're, you're going through, you get, you know, almost the, the Rolodex of the mind is running and you're getting everything cleared out. And, um, and you just don't want to be bothered. And other times you have the social aspect. Um, I tend to, to like, for instance, this weekend, uh, we're going to be going up to Orlando. My, my son's got a basketball tournament. So I'm staying at a hotel that said they were smoke free, but in the back, they have an area they call the cigar lounge. They have a fire pit and some lights and whatnot. And, you know, get out there after a long day, sit down with a glass of scotch or bourbon and have a cigar or three, you know, why not? And just relax and, um, and it's great, you know, but yeah, I, I do believe um, there's a lot of overlap and there's a lot of hobbies out there. Um, and what it is, is a lifestyle. It's, it's much more than a hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a lifestyle. Uh, we live, we, we have a certain lifestyle. I have a lifestyle. Um, I dress around my lifestyle and I plan a lot of events and things around that lifestyle. And, uh, one of them is cigars. You know, that may be, that may be a point, uh, in terms of it being a lifestyle, you know, for, for those who are regular, concealed carriers i think a lot of us would say that that is also a lifestyle to the point of specifically what you said like you do dress around it Um, yeah you have to right um you dress around it you plan your day around it there you know if you know that you are going somewhere where you can't have a firearm you plan for that and otherwise you kind of plan to stick to places that do you know allow you to exercise that right so yeah you know there is a there's a lifestyle component i think that there is a um, I think that there's a ritual component uh, yes. to cigars and, and maybe there is for concealed carry too, right? Putting on the gear and selecting your belt and your wardrobe and all that yes. stuff. But um, for cigars, I, there's definitely for me, there's, there's a ritual to it. Um, I once had somebody tell me that the difference between cigar smokers and cigarette smokers is that uh, a cigarette smoker will uh, stand out in a hurricane to take a couple of puffs when they need it. A cigar smoker will look out the window and go, eh, I'll have one tomorrow. Um, Because if something is going to infringe on whatever your ritual is, whether it's a tumbler of whiskey or, you know, I've got coffee, it's it's morning here where I am right now. So this is my morning smoke. Uh, Whatever your ritual is around cigars, if if something's going to infringe on that, it almost becomes not worth it at that point in time. That's right. And you said that's the word ritual. The word ritual, it's not a habit. It's not, you're not, you're not addicted to this. Uh-uh. It's just a, if, if the conditions were bad, you wouldn't, you wouldn't partake in it and, and you don't have to, you just move on. It's just that much better the next time you do it. Right. You know? yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's funny. Cause in terms of the, the, the addiction angle, cause yeah, I mean, I've had plenty of people ask me, well, like, well, how many cigars in a week do you smoke? And I, I don't know, you know, box, sometimes. Box so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, you know, um, but I would, I would tell you, like, it depends on the week, right? Because there, there'll be times I'll go a week, sometimes closer to two without just if my schedule doesn't allow it, if I'm traveling yeah, a lot, I, you know, I'm bouncing around. If I don't have the time for it, I don't have the time for it. Because again, I would rather wait until I can practice the ritual, you know, uh, whether it's a, a social smoke or a solitary smoke, which you made that point earlier. And there is, um, there are occasions for both, for sure. Um, but if I can't, whatever, whichever one I'm in the mood for, right. If I can't practice it the way that I would like to, then I just don't do it. I'll just wait. And then other days, 
you know, or other weeks I'll have, you know, like you said, it's like, it's like a, it's like a box in a week kind of thing. It just, it depends on what's going on, but yeah, it's more about, it's about everything that goes along with it. You know, it's not about, Oh, I, I, I gotta get, you know, I gotta get the smoke in my mouth kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely not it. You know, it's right. funny because a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of the cigar industry is down here in Miami and we fly out of uh, Miami International Airport and there is a TGI Fridays in there that has an outdoor area where you can smoke. But most of the people that go out there are smoking cigarettes and you can have a drink, you can order your food out there. And a lot of people in the cigar industry fly out of that terminal, that airline to be able to enjoy a cigar while they're right before they travel, you know, especially, and I wouldn't say in the early morning, but definitely if you're flying mid afternoon or night, like, well, I'll get there a little early, make sure that everything goes good. And, you know, there's no lines and whatnot. And then, you know, you have a place to go relax before the stressful flight of wherever you're going. And it's, uh, it's, it just takes a little more planning. You know, there's another aspect that, um, that cigars and firearms uh, cross over. And that is uh, regulations. That was, I was just about to get to that, talking about, you know, flying to events and, and working in the industry and things. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, you know, I could I could go on all day about firearms regulation, and, and most of that is probably pretty familiar to this audience. But uh, yeah, man, so I know you worked, like I said, you, you have been in and out of the cigar industry for, for consistently for a long time. Um, so let's talk about that. What, uh, having touched both sides of the fence on this, uh, you know, what are, what are some of the hoops you got to jump through on the, on the cigar side? The biggest one right now came out in, uh, 2016, um, where the FDA is going to regulate, uh, premium cigars. Well, cigars of all kinds. And everyone believes that it was not supposed to happen for cigars. It was supposed to be for vape and flavored cigarillos and things of that nature. Things that that younger people under the legal smoking age at that time was 18, now 21, would be attracted to that are less expensive, easily obtained. And somehow the premium cigar industry got dragged into this. And believe it or not, it's not a very big industry. Uh, it's, it's very close knit. Uh, it have it's, it's all over the U S but also you have, uh, Nicaragua, you have Honduras, you have Dominican Republic, and then you have some other countries that are trying to come in here like Italy and things of that nature. But, uh, to try to, to regulate some, a handmade product, an artisan product that on the average, you know, what does a cigar go for? $10, $12. I don't know many teenagers I don't know any teenager that is looking to go out and smoke a cigar the way that you and I enjoy a cigar. You know what I mean? They're it, yeah. it, it just, just to, to use that as the preface for this is why we need to regulate it makes absolutely no sense. Not, not only that, the FDA put out a study a couple of years ago and there's, they tested, I don't know how they did this or what the ground rules were, but they did publish this, test of cigar smokers versus non-cigar smokers and the health effects. And they came to the conclusion that a person that smokes one to two cigars a day versus someone that doesn't smoke cigars or never smoked cigars or anything, the difference is nil. So there's no difference. 
Um, That's interesting. When did do you remember when that came out? Just Google FDA cigars. Okay. Uh, cigar smoking effects or something. It was like two years ago, three years ago. Max. Oh, wow. So that's recent. Okay. Very recent. Very recent. In the middle of the regulation. So right now, as we stand in 2022, there should be no new cigar brands introduced. They're just not enforcing the law. But that is the law of the land. So imagine, and not only that, if you didn't exist um, from February 15, 2007, exist before and exist after, no pauses, your cigar cannot be on the market. You cannot legally have that cigar on the market. So new brands could not exist. New sizes could not exist. You have to get prior or pre-approval from the FDA. They want to do the same thing they did with cigarettes. And so, so a lot of can't... cigar companies... So you can't drop a new size of stick without federal approval. Not only that, you can't change the amount of cigars in the package. So if, if it originally came in a 20 count box, you can't do a 10 or a sampler or, or a single. Wow. Or, yeah. I didn't realize it was that bad. That's crazy. It is that bad. And then for a new brand to come out, or let's say an existing brand wants to come out an existing company that we all know and enjoy wants to come out with a new brand with five different sizes, they would have to get pre-approval and do testing, which is estimated to cost. They don't even know because it hasn't been implemented, but some people are saying it could cost as much as half a million dollars for one size. What kind of, are, has there been any talk? I mean, what kind of testing is required for that? They don't even know because the equipment doesn't even exist. And then what they're testing for is a, a, a million different things. But in reality, the, you're not inhaling the cigar smoke, you know? Yep. Most cigar smokers do not inhale. I do know some that do inhale. They came from the cigarette side and looking for something healthier. I don't think, you know, I, I know it's a, a healthier tobacco because all this tobacco leaf was in the ground four or five years ago, if not more. Yep. And has been sitting there in aging, fermenting, getting rid of all the, um, all the different um, attributes that it, that it has. And, and the health benefits are, are, are not as bad, but you're not inhaling it. Right. Yeah. I think I've come across, oh man, I could probably count on one hand, the number of guys I've come across that inhale cigar smoke. That is typically, that's what I call a self-correcting error. You typically do it once if you don't know any better, or you do it by accident, like if you're puffing and talking, and then yeah. you do it that one time by accident. It's like, oh, yeah, nope. That's why we don't do that. Yeah, don't yeah. want to do that. Yeah, man, wow, that's that's nuts about the testing. I remember uh, I, I remember the, the 2016 thing because I, I had been working with some brands to do to do some coverage for Recoil, and, and they were um, – there were some concerns about companies sending me cigars for testing and product placement and coverage like that, because that, and you could probably speak to that here in a second, but uh, there was a uh, rules about not being able to give cigars away as a promotional item. That's correct. So a lot of the uh, cigar events that used to happen at whether it was big or small, it's typical to go to a, to a lounge somewhere and they're, Hey, buy, five cigars and we're going to give you this one free for you to try that they they, they originally uh you could not do 
and you couldn't give away promotional cigars. So the big annual convention in Vegas, the, the PCA, where it's only for people that are in the industry and the stores are walking around, trying the new stuff, speaking to manufacturers, and they would leave every day with 50, 100 cigars. That was going to be taken away. So that was corrected where samples could be given um, in the course of doing business. So if I'm trying to solicit you to do business and you're licensed to do business that so we can do, then I can give you a sample. But not, but still to this day, if you're sitting in your lounge and a rep from XYZ company were to come in and say, oh my gosh, I'm a huge fan of Recoil and here, have a cigar. That's illegal. Technically illegal. Yeah. Now, could that person, now here's the funny part. You could buy a cigar at that lounge. It's yours or that person could buy a cigar at the lounge and then gift it. That's fine. But if you're in the business, you can't be giving away samples. Yep. That is yeah, that's, that's crazy. Man. And yet every day there's the, the, the mindset and, and the laws change to make it easier for cannabis. But then this is being taxed and squeezed and it ends up costing the consumer more money. Yeah, that was going to be, I, I wanted to, to touch on that in terms of the, the taxation, right? So for, for firearms, uh, obviously kind of the biggest one everybody thinks about is his NFA stuff, right? That $200, it's a, it's a tax. That's all it is. It's a tax. It hasn't for, changed in a hundred years, you know? Yeah, I mean? right. Exactly. Uh, where, I mean, do they, are they kind of cranking up your rates on your end pretty continually? Uh, years ago, they came out in, um, what they call the S-chips and excise tax, which is roughly just over 40 cents per cigar the moment they get imported, okay? And, or made, if you manufacture in the US, it's 40 cents, a little more. Um, then they added the FDA user fee, which is roughly another five cents so that the FDA has the money to regulate the industry that doesn't want to be regulated. <laughs> So if you look at um, premium cigar imports, I think we're over 400 million last year. You know, so five cents from each of those cigars went to the FDA and another 40 cents for each one went uh, to the government. And then you have states, the state tax, you know. Yep. Uh, luckily, we don't have one here in Florida, but, you know, you've got New York, it's up 75%. California is in the 50-something percent. Uh, different states making up their own taxes. So now, uh, you know, it, it, a cigar that's eight ten dollars, eight dollars, let's say in Miami, is fifteen dollars in New York City. You know. Yeah. Do those do cigars typically get lumped into like cigarette taxes, or or do they get excluded from those, or or is it uh, you know is it kind of its own thing, or like they, I said, do they get lumped in with vape and cannabis and and cigarettes? For regulations, they get lumped in, but for taxes, that's usually the, they call it OTP, other tobacco products. So cigarettes um, have their own thing. And then uh, the OTP is, uh, is different. And then sometimes they'll even spell it out for cigars. Gotcha. So those, uh, the, the regulations that, that we're talking about, the, the testing and, and, you know, restrictions on brand and things like that, 
are these typically done through legislation or is it kind of like what the ATF does to us where it's kind of they can just come out with a quote unquote policy letter and and essentially say whatever the heck they want. And if they want to change the definition of what something means two months later, they do that. It's very similar to ATF's uh, opinion letters and and changing the changing their mind. The FDA did come out with these rules in 2016. Um, but then have it, it's just been continuous lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit and kicking kicking it down the curb and and you know it's oh let's see what happens in the next uh hearing uh so all the big manufacturers are are funding this uh everybody's got attorneys uh on staff and and trying to to get a, a happy medium what what everyone hopes for is that premium cigars get exempt that that they separate us from the cigarillos, the mass market stuff you buy in your convenience store and get separated from vape because all those are getting inhaled or they're being converted to be used with cannabis. So separate the premium tobacco and, and the word premium is for a reason that you're spending a lot more money as a lot more time and effort to grow this and age it and, you know, and do all the things needed to get it here. Uh, and separate us. And that's what everyone is hoping. That's why you do see new brands coming out. People that for whatever reason, you know, they decide they want to get into this, into this world and they're launched their new product. They launch a new brand and they're hoping and praying. Um, a lot of people are in that boat. You know, the people have been around a long time, the Fuentes, Padrones, you know, those type of companies, the Olivas, they don't, you know, they've been around a very long time. They've got what they call grandfathered blends that existed prior to February 15 of 2007. So uh, that was going to be my next question. It, it sounds like you pretty much answered it, but uh, I was going to say you keep referencing premium cigars. Is there is there a standardized definition for that? What's that? I assume what we're talking about is, yeah, like you said, like cigars you might buy in a gas station or at a drugstore versus what I would see in a lounge. But and I smoke cigars, so I mean, I, I know the difference and I can think of brands that fall on either end of that. But is there a like, is there an FDA or is there sort of an industry standardized definition of what a what a premium is? They're, they're, I think they're trying to define that as um, a cigar that, uh, you know, a product that is made with a whole leaf wrapper on it. Um, you know, you have short fill cigars that are the trimmings from every cigar gets trimmed and you have these small pieces. Uh, then you take those small pieces and put it, it's like ground beef. And then you wrap it into a binder, a good binder and a good wrapper, and you could have a good cigar. Most people that smoke cigars don't consider that a premium cigar because it's made with leftover product. But it's still, you know, you don't buy it for cents, you buy it for dollars. And so um, most of the time to, to categorize a premium cigar, I think it's with the whole leaf wrapper and binder that's you know the binders right under the wrapper yep they're all they're a whole uh, at least a half a leaf and they're rolled together to hold the, the filler together okay yeah that that makes sense um you'd you'd mentioned lawsuits uh which again is something that in the firearms industry we're you know that's that's how we're fighting that fight right is with lawsuits and and on our end we've got you know, we've got organizations, we've got advocacy organizations, Firearms Policy Coalition, NRA, ILA. Uh, you know, there's a couple others out there that that are that are spending substantial amounts of money 
uh, to keep some of these high profile cases in court and to get certain policies overturned and, and to, um, you know, provide some backstop against what oftentimes appear to be pretty arbitrary, you know, like you said, that they, they even call them opinion letters. It's somebody's opinion about what a, a certain fire, what defines a certain firearm part or, you know, what makes a pistol a pistol or a rifle a rifle and you know we've seen that with braces and vertical grips and barrel lengths and all that stuff um do is there is there a counterpart in the cigar industry in terms of there being sort of industry wide advocacy groups third party groups that will go out and fight these fights or is it on the manufacturers to retain in-house counsel and and try and you know fight it piecemeal now there's two main groups and um and those groups the manufacturers are members some of them support both. Some of them support one, others support the other. Sometimes they get together and fight the battles together. Other times uh, they fight them separately. Uh, and then that causes some infighting in the industry because some people believe that the one they're a part of is better than the other one. And the other one uh, is, uh, is trying to, to lobby uh, and or, or has brought in maybe some vape companies or something and they're like oh they're too broad and and they're going to look out for their interests as well which is not good for us so that infighting is never good um i think that they should uh, get together more and be strategic in that aspect and say well listen we'll branch off and handle this side will you handle this one and meet in the middle because there's really not a lot of money for that it's not like you know bigger industries like pharmaceutical and you know they spend you know thousand times more and have a lot more money but unfortunately the the bigger manufacturers which tend to have more money are the ones that are that are putting the bill the majority of it you know yeah well like your pharmaceuticals is a good example the amount of money they throw at things like professional lobbyists and things like that is, is oh, yeah. you know it's i don't even know what the numbers look like but even having a rough idea, it's, it's probably nuts, right? And it's it's ch pocket change compared to what I know for a fact compared to what the firearms industry, you know, even as a whole or firearms community as a whole um, is able to to put in for that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, no, that's uh, I I would argue you see that that you see that in, in the firearms world too, right? In terms of sometimes we can be our own worst enemy, um, where you know in the process of trying to unite for a broader a broader fight, so to speak, at least in the legal sense, you wind up with factions developing and, and things like that. And uh, it does, it, it takes away from the, takes away from the larger cause. You know, I think really unifying, does. I think unifying the firearms industry has always been a bit of a uphill fight at times, at least on, on certain subjects. And, and it sounds like it's, it's pretty similar for you guys as well. Yeah. And it, it's just, I think it's more complex in the firearms industry because there are so many different types of firearm owners. There's some people that are just strictly hunting, other people just collecting. Um, it's just it's just a, a very very broad. Whereas, yes, you have different cigar smokers, type of cigar smokers. Some people consider themselves cigar smokers, and they'll have two or three cigars a year. I don't know if they're counted because I've I've seen numbers of how many people smoke cigars in in the United States. And last I checked was like nine to 12 million people, which didn't seem like a lot. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know where they draw the line as to how many cigars that a week, a month, a year, they would consider that to be a, a cigar smoker. But yeah, there's, it's, 
it's just the other things that have come from tobacco. You know, you have cigarettes, you know, and, and the government loves to bunch us up, you know, premium cigars with cigarettes. No way are they even remotely close. I mean, it's not even the same tobacco. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's not treated with any type of chemicals and, and, and it's not um, addictive. Yep. Habit forming, maybe that's a different story. It's, well, it's more of a ritual and a lifestyle. Yep. You touched on that already. So that's, yeah, that's, and, it, and it does, it, be, it becomes a habit. But I was going to mention that earlier, you were talking about the, you know, the health costs or, or lack thereof, depending on, on where you go, or at least apparently according to the FDA from what you're saying, uh, versus cigarettes. And, it, you know, one of the things I was going to mention was that it's sort of, there's not as, there's not the the amount of additives, you know, in a lot of cases, there's, there's no additives that you get all your flavor from the tobacco and from the aging process and things like that. Yeah. It's yeah. tobacco, it's water, it's heat and time because the tobacco is picked. It's hung up in drying barns where it gets to that like caramel color dried out. Then it's sorted by type and put into pylones piles that could weigh up to 4,000 pounds in a room that's 100% humidity, 24-7, it's warm in there, and with their own weight and that heat is generated, it causes it to break down. The ammonia smell in there is unbelievable in those rooms. And they're there for a year. Now they're uh, sorted again, put in bales, and, sit, and they sit to rest for another few more years before they're even considered to be put in a blend. Yeah, it's it's a lot more like whiskey that way, I would imagine, it you know. It is, um, because if you get whiskey and make it today and, and drink it today, it's called moonshine, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and uh, usually you get, a, you get a nice healthy jet fuel taste out yeah. of that for sure and a lot of that stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I had the opportunity to do a, do a pretty pretty big piece on on bourbon and how bourbon is made for recoil a couple of years ago i spent a week out in kentucky on the bourbon trail and um yeah all the you know bourbon that is that is true traditionally made bourbon though you know they'll all tell you that the flavor just it comes from the aging it comes from the barrel and leaching nutrients and and uh how it's charred know, every, and yeah how it's charred and it leaches all that out of the out of the wood so yeah it really it's just the aging the other thing you didn't mention i'd like to touch on is soil right that's what i've heard is the soil makes a big difference which is why you only see a, a handful of um kind of major cigar growing regions around the world yes and and, and that it's extremely important that without the proper soil and the nutrients in that soil that are constantly being replenished. You know, for instance, in Nicaragua, they got valleys where they're off a volcano. And so you have this, the rain brings down all the nutrients constantly into the soil. And as you go season over season, it just keeps replenishing. But then in the same country, you have regions in Nicaragua, let's say, that only grow tobacco for cigarettes because tobacco for cigars won't grow well there. And, and that in and of itself is a difference. Yeah, you know? no, that, that makes a difference. I know, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I, I would say just about everything that I smoke on a regular basis is Nicaraguan. And I've kind of picked up enough over the years to realize more specifically, most of what I smoke is, is from uh, like this Esteli um, yeah. specifically. And, and you can taste the difference. You know, I, uh, you know, if, if I kind of go off my beaten path and, and pick up a, a, a Dominican, you know, or a Honduran, I, I, you, you, there's a noticeable difference. Complete, complete and total difference. Even, even taking 
Nicaraguan or Honduran tobacco to Dominican Republic and then rolling a cigar there with those leaves, it doesn't taste the same. It's completely different. Yep. Uh, Dominican tobacco tends to be more mild. It tends to be smoother. Um, whereas the Nicaraguan tobacco has a lot more what people call spice, more strength, more, more flavor. But then you have regions that have that grow um, stronger tobacco, but yet it's sweeter. So you have all these different nuances, different flavors. That's why the great cigar manufacturers can take tobacco from all these different regions and blend it together. It's like the more regions you can have, the bigger your pantry is for cooking. And they put that together. And when, when they make a, uh, a great cigar, I mean, we get to enjoy it. And it's years in the making, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, that's I've 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 heard that more than a couple times that it, that it takes years. You, it's funny because you mentioned moving tobacco, and you know I, I think one of the things you see, and I've, maybe you can speak to this. I've always kind of felt like it was a, a bit of a marketing gimmick was to see companies say that it's Cuban seed tobacco that's grown in another region, you know. And I I, I kind of always have felt like well, what they're selling there is the implication that it's Cuban tobacco, or that you're going to get something close to you know a a, a good premium Cuban cigar. Um, and I've kind of have never really found any of that stuff to, to measure quite up. I've been fortunate enough to, to travel outside the U S and to be able to get Cubans and enjoy them, um, in other parts of the world. And, uh, it just never seems to measure up when you talk about, oh, well, it's Cuban seed, but it's grown, you know, somewhere else. Yeah. So it, it definitely, uh, the majority of the tobacco grown in Dominican Republic and Honduras and Nicaragua is Cuban seed. They took the seed from a plant from the flower in Cuba and it has been grown in another country. Then year over year from those crops, a lot of times they'll pick the biggest trees, the healthiest ones, and take the seed out of those for next year. And they keep, um, they keep rotating the, um, the crop. So yes, the Cuban seed, you can grow it in Cuba, you can grow it in Dominican Republic, you can grow it in all these countries, it tastes different because of the soil is different in Cuba. It's different in Dominican Republic and in Honduras and Nicaragua. That's, that's literally almost uh, like a, um, like an, it's a, it's a big experiment really, because you take one seed varietal, plant it in three different regions and it grows really well in one and another one it's okay. And then one it's bad, or if it's good in all of them. Wow. I mean, listen, take, take for instance, Connecticut seed, grown in in, uh, in Ecuador. A lot of Connecticut cigars, that's where the wrapper comes from. It's not from Connecticut because it's not grown as much there. You're getting it from Ecuador. So it's less expensive. It's almost the same. And that's very rare. But as the flavor that you get in a Cuban cigar, a real Cuban cigar, you can't replicate it. No way. No, not at all. And, and kind of staying on the soil point, I've actually heard a, a couple people say that, um, you know, my experience with Cuban cigars, and I've had people ask me, you know, oh, well, like you've, you've had Cubans, like, what is it like? And, I, you know, I, if I'm really being honest, I would tell you Cuban cigars as a whole, my experience is that Cuban cigars as, as a whole, kind of like cigars from anywhere else. I've had some of them that are absolutely phenomenal. Like you said, there are some Cuban cigars I've had that are unlike anything else I've ever had before or since. And there are other Cuban cigars I've had that just are, ah, 
you know, yeah. my, my daily smokes are, are, are better than, are better than those. And, uh, again, I'm sure seed quality comes to it. I've, I've heard some people say some things about you because Cuba has been in the cigar industry for so long and their volume of production has historically been so high, uh, that there are certain regions where the soil is getting, it, it's getting grown out. It's, it's getting yeah. overused and, uh, the flavor is just not there. Like it used to be, you know, a couple decades ago. Yeah, and they're not reinvesting, you know, they got other uh, financial issues to deal with. So the profits are going elsewhere. What I would love to see is some of the great that the greats that have left Cuba be able to come back and grow and set and set up those fields correctly, put back the nutrients, turn them turn the soil over, give it a rest if they have to, but start growing real Cuban tobacco again there and then blending it with what we have discovered in the new world in out of Nicaragua and Honduras and Dominican Republic. So you could get a cigar that is maybe 25 or 50% Cuban grown tobacco and then other regions. I think that would be phenomenal because, you know, you don't get Maduro's that much in, out of Cuba. Uh, but, you know, I love San Andres uh, Mexican wrapper and, you know, I'd love to have a Cuban cigar with a San Andres wrapper on it. I think that would be absolutely amazing. Yeah, and, and do do maybe something that's more like a, a Cuban blend, like you said, mm-hmm. with a with a percentage, right? Yeah, that'd be that'd be something else. I, you know, I thought there was some hope there for a while. I, I'm pretty sure it was during the Obama years where some of the, the mm-hmm. restrictions against Cuba and the, some of the sanctions were were relaxed a little bit, and I was pretty hopeful. But it kind of seems like none of that really came to fruition. It seems like They're there maybe taking, were were yeah. other regulations that are still in the way. They're getting rid of them again. Uh, the the Trump administration restrictions are coming off, going back to the Obama era. That's what the current uh, president is doing. Um, you know, me being from a Cuban descent, I'm torn. I don't have family there anymore, but uh, being so close to to the island and uh, being Cuban, um, you hear about what's going on there on a daily basis, and it's just terrible. You know. Uh, from human rights violations to the people not being able to do any, there's no freedom, you know, let's just start with that, you know, so it's, it's really, really bad. So, but yeah, you know, if we, if there was a true change and there was, uh, you know, a democracy, a republic was put together in Cuba and people could return and industries were to grow there, there's no doubt about it that that has the best land. Listen, in Cuba, there are regions where they only grow tobacco for cigarettes also as well. It's not in the, in the Pinar de Rio region on the, on the western side of the island. That's not where the cigarette tobacco is grown. So I just, it just, you need to, you need to reinvest, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it is, it's a, it's a sad situation, but uh, you know, here's here's hoping for for better times. Is like you said, some of those restrictions get relaxed again, and and maybe you know there's there's an opportunity for reinvestment. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, thank you very much. We uh, think we're right about where we need to be, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, look forward to look forward to talking to you again next time, man. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me, and uh, we'll definitely do it again. We'll get together, have some cigars, and uh, it's been great. Yeah, for for sure. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in. This has been Recoil Live, and we will see you next time.